Welcome to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast with your host, Chris DeRoe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives and works in Burlington, Ontario, and runs an advisory practice named Three Hats Financial. Let's get to it. Welcome back to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth with Chris DeRoe of Three Hats Financial. With Chris in a return engagement is Rana Shohan, Chief Investment Strategist with the Investment Planning Council. I'm Patrice Sikora, and I always look forward to these discussions, Rana, just to tell you. Chris, tell us more about your guest. Well, first of all, thanks again, Rana, for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. I know you're obviously a really busy guy and excited to have you again, especially now because it's been a couple months since we've done one of these market updates. And I wanted to just get, get you before you go away on summer holidays as well as the listeners. And as well, we just went through a heck of a quarter. <laughs> so I definitely want to get some insight from you on what has happened over that quarter. For my listeners, a lot of you have already listened to the previous updates that, that Rana has given us, and we had fantastic feedback on. That's why, obviously, we keep doing them for you. A lot of you do know Rana's unique background in investments and as well from the medical side of it, which has been quite an asset during these unusual times that we're having. So, Rana, can you just give my listeners just a quick recap in case there is some new ones on the show in regards to your background? Uh, my background is I, I started off in the uh, medical field, all right, in particular coming together of medicine and physics, right, in the oncology side of it, cancer side of it. I uh, went to University of London for uh, medicine and physics, then later on practiced it and wanted to progress to do other things. So I fell in love with the field of finance as well. And somehow all three fields have come together now. Heck of a resume, as I've mentioned before. Let's just dive into this and get going here. Let's start with really where we are today since the last market update and over the last quarter. Where are things at? Because I know in previous episodes, we were mentioning, we were getting all these shapes that economists and managers were mentioning. They go, oh, it's going to be a W. It's going to be a Nike swoosh. It's going to be a V-shaped recovery, meaning what shape the market's going to do. Come back down, go right back up. I know initially some people thought more of a V-shape, but then I guess some people were getting quite nervous around March, April and thought it was going to be delayed a lot longer. I feel from the data that it looks more like a V-shape, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I, I think a lot of this looking at shapes is trying to put a picture to something, trying to put a pattern onto something, all right? We had a recovery, and the recovery happened because the fare was too great. That's the main reason. We have the ability to change and adapt once we've identified the fare. So what you saw was the, the, the big fare about what's going to happen to the world. The world's going to stop, you know, the end of the world as we know it, zombie land. And then the realization, oh, wait a minute, we can stay home, we can, you know, relax, we can be safe. And slowly the medical community started to grab on it. And more importantly, companies realized they had to change. So you saw what is technically called a V-type recovery. And this was not expected because the, the media had been so much focusing on the fair side of it. I don't really think it's 
quite a V. What I call it is a V with a lot of W's, small W's on the upper leg of the V. So that's why you have this up and down, up and down, up and down coming along. But even if we ignore the shape of it, we've got to say that there's tremendous amount of good things that have happened that have caused this recovery. One, liquidity. Also, the fact that the U.S. government gave uh, the payroll protection plan. And this is very unusual. What this does is protect people who are sitting home from a loss of income. And that means that they can continue to spend and consume. And that's what's provided this V-shaped recovery. So if you want to thank somebody for this V-shaped recovery, you thank a person called Jerome Powell on this one. An unprecedented amount of liquidity to say, hey, look, no matter what happens, we're going to make sure that the economy stays stable. Also, you've got a, a big shift going to tech and to growth style investing. And that's important because we're now shifting from an analog world to a digital world. Okay, and, and what that means is those old companies that cannot do the shift, they begin to suffer or they delay their recovery. But those companies that do the shift, they're the ones that accelerate. And that's what's happened in the market. The market's focused on those companies that could adapt to the shift. And then that helps the economy or the market all right, move up. I actually don't believe in the markets. I, I, I don't like using the term the markets because it kind of like makes it way out there. I kind of like to talk about the term of companies. So those companies that are, are the digital enhancers, the productivity enhancers, they're going to do much better than those that are not accepting uh, digitalization yet. This has been very hard for traditional investment managers because traditional investment managers don't know how to understand or put the growth factors into their assessments of what the market should be doing. So, yeah, I, I think we're on a good footing, all right? And I think we're going to get a little bit ahead of that. And there are going to be, it's going to be, in many ways, a much better world because of technology. Then let's touch on something that I've been getting a lot of questions about, just even in general conversations with friends, neighbors, things like that, is the potential in the vaccine. Because what a lot of people mm. I've noticed are saying is, is they're putting a tremendous amount of hope into the vaccine, meaning, well, once we have the vaccine, you know what? Everything's going to go back to normal. Everything's going to be good. We're not going to have to wear masks, social distancing. We can go back to handshakes, filling up auditoriums and sports arenas, and everything's going to be perfect again once the vaccine's here. But... I had an interesting conversation with a medical professional not too long ago, and we were having a chat about that, where a vaccine like for something like smallpox obviously gets rid of it. But if the vaccine's so simple, then why isn't there a vaccine for a flu? Are people putting too much hope on a vaccine, whereas more will probably be better and more knowledge about the treatment for COVID? Or is there potential that a vaccine could come and just slow this thing right down? There is, first of all, a lot of work being done on vaccine. This is the, probably the first time in the world that everybody's come together to try to tackle a problem. They don't, they don't even do this for cancer, right? The whole world doesn't work together on, oh, we're going to get rid of cancer. This one is actually focusing the whole world. And there is vaccines being worked on and that will be coming out. But that vaccine is for this version of COVID-19. All right. And if it morphs, then they'll have to adjust the vaccine. So we should realize that we're going to get used to this vaccine. That's just like we get 
used to the cold. We know there's a cold season. We know what to do. You know, we, we know we have to take something. So more important than the vaccine is what is called therapeutics. And that's what you do with the cold, by the way. When you get the cold, you, you know, if you don't have the vaccine or something, or if the vaccine doesn't work, then you go and you take the therapeutics, which are, you know, the cough medicines, the, the Buckley's right, of the world to take away the symptoms. And that's what's more important is the use of therapeutics so that one, we're not spreading it, one, we're not being harmed. And also what you're going to see, which is a big part that they're not explaining a lot, is the building up of antibodies and the killer T cells that you have in your body. So what that means is that because of this vaccine right now, your antibodies are going to go higher, and then they go dormant for a while. They kind of go to sleep. It's like hibernation until it comes back again. So it's therapeutics and your own immune system that actually have a better degree than putting the hope on a vaccine. I also think that you're going to need multiple types of vaccines. I think this virus is here to stay. Rana, Patrice here. Are you talking, in effect, about a herd immunity? It's kind of like the herd immunity, but it's not quite. The use of the word herd immunity is very dangerous because you're lumping everybody together in that herd. Well, the reality is the seniors are not part of that herd because they can't build up killer T cells or antibodies as fast as somebody who's 20 years old. The older part of the herd will not be as immune as the younger part of the herd. So you can't really use the word herd immunity. You can use herd immunity to certain age population groups. Then it makes more sense. I think the the seniors have to be a lot more careful going forward. They're probably going to be wearing more of the masks, and we need to be more careful around them as well. We should always actually be more careful around them, not just because of this because they have a weaker immune system, always. Who's in, who do you feel is in the running with this as far as country in developing a vaccine? Basically you're gonna to come to the two countries that have the most amount of money, or actually three countries that have the most amount of money, yeah. all right, to put into this. So it's gonna be US and UK, by the way, is kind of like a big part of that research as well. So primarily US, there's about five big companies here that are really focusing on it. Europe a little bit, with AstraZeneca and the UK with the Oxford University one there. And then uh, China's, uh, I think China is a big leader in this. Uh, And then Japan as well. And the reason China wins at this one is because they don't have to go through as many regulatory hoops. Their version of FDA is very simple and, and, you know, it goes in there, they, they test it thoroughly and then they move quick on it. The advantage that China has over the rest of the world, it's kind of like the communist advantage. We don't want to have the rules, just go and do it. And that's why I actually think the vaccine is faster coming out of China than out of the U.S. So you're again going into this two-world economy now, even with the vaccine. If it does come out of China first, what would that mean for use in the U.S.? Would it have to go through FDA approval here first? Absolutely. All right. And that just prolongs it over here. The U.S. is good in the FDA, but I keep on reminding the U.S. FDA isn't as good as the Canadian FDA. Canada has a much, much better 
a way of looking at drugs in the U.S. Think of thalidomide, right, as a drug. That was brought in the U.S., but Canada blocked it. I'd rather listen to what Canada says than even the U.S. FDA saying it. This year, obviously, has been just jam-packed and we're just over six months into it. We've had, obviously, the coronavirus, murder hornets, riots, pretty much everything. <laughs> but now, as Trump is starting to run out of time, and as you'd mentioned, the circus is about to start, what can we expect as we get close to one of the biggest U.S. elections we've had in a long time? All right, sit back. Load up the popcorn, right? <laughs> Fill up <Yeah>. your pop, <laughs> right? Because this is going to be so entertaining. Uh, yeah. We can expect something new almost every week. And this is the last shot they have. It's a second term election. So this, it's going to get very, very volatile. And it gets more volatile as you get closer and closer to it. There's a peak period, by the way, of volatility. And just looking at past elections, it's the same pattern. Okay, and the peak period will be somewhere around the middle of October. Beginning to middle of October. That's when the media is going to go absolutely great. And I, I, I'm thinking we're, we're not even going to realize what just other things are coming out, out of the woodwork that weren't there four years ago. Maybe there's a Stormy Daniels 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. All right, who knows? But there will be something. And it doesn't have to be substantiated either because the way the media works, it can use the term unknown source or sources without disclosing it. That's, that's fine, right? But it's what the impact happens to the markets from all of these. So expect volatility. But there is good news. The clown show will be over. And I don't know which clown is going to win. And it really doesn't matter. This is a confusion that people have. They think, oh, Trump's going to do something or Biden's going to do something, and it matters. No, there is a relief rally that happens that the clown show is over and we can go back to our homes and do our normal stuff. And that relief rally happens irrespective. And, and really, Biden doesn't want to get voted in and then do something silly and brings the market down and then people blame, oh, we should have voted for Trump. That's going to look disastrous on him. It's not as fearful as they make it out. And I, and I and just watch the show, but don't get caught up in the show. Firstly, we can't do anything about it. You know, we're not even able to vote. So us screaming for one or the other is a complete waste of time. It's using up stress energy that we don't need to use up. I, I think just watch the show, enjoy it, and realize <laughs> that there's a lot of advantages to be taken on this. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you mentioned that because when you look at the the history of U.S. election years, it just it shows that, like you mentioned, that same pattern where in the fall it starts to be very very volatile, and then towards the end of November, majority of U.S. election years they end positive. Also, it like you had just mentioned too, the stats really doesn't matter whose butt ends up in that seat. It kind of just ends up with the really same results, which is interesting. Yeah. So I agree with not wasting energy on stuff we can't control. The other thing, too, I wanted to get back to a certain date. So our last show, you had mentioned that it was important. July 4th was going to be a very important date, a date with a bang. Now that we're here, do you feel that we're in that spot that you had thought we would be when July 4th had come and gone? When we had this conversation, the markets weren't going up 
as much as it's going up now. And I was saying that the corporations are building towards July the 4th. It's not quite as perfect as Trump ran. And it's really interesting that just before the July the 4th whole scenario, you get the rise up in cases coming out of Arizona, Texas, and California, and Florida. I mean, it's pretty well close to July 4th. So if you want to ruin it July the 4th, well, this is the way to kind of ruin it. But I don't think it's going to ruin it because the markets look forward and we've had an incredible rise in the markets going into July the 4th. And that's why I, I was very excited about driving, knowing that the markets will take this in stride. And it's the biggest holiday in the U.S. So everybody's going to say, you know, the, the fireworks are going to be crazy today because people can't go to them. Well, people can see them. So the viewership is going to be amazing on it. And you can expect a great show coming out of the fireworks. That's fine. What we've got to realize now is it's post-July the 4th. And that's when we're going to come back to, okay, the, the holidays or well, We're going to get back to thinking about the election becomes a major focus now. And so volatility increases. So the key dates to kind of remember now is around about October the 12th-ish for the increase in volatility and the markets feeling the pain on it. We're in this range-bound world now, up until the election, and it's a wide range. So we're also going to get earnings coming in after July the 4th. That's going to cause some concern. The market has certain events. People don't realize there are certain events that happen by the dates. July 4th is a particular date. It happens every year. Uh, you know, the U.S. Independence Day, July the 4th. So, you know, that's an event. You know, the earnings season is an event. It's exactly the same dates every single year. And, you know, the U.S. election is a defined date. Every single year, it's in that period. So we, we know those dates, but what we don't know is the reactions going into those dates. What we as investors have to understand is the reactions into those dates and how do we manage those reactions for it and what happens after those dates? So, yes, there are particular dates, earnings season, and then there's going to be October 12th for kind of the peaking of the volatility, and then there's November 3rd, then there's relief, and then Santa Claus comes along. <laughs> hey, Rana, COVID is forcing a lack of physical campaigning by the, the candidates in the U.S. Do you think that could lead to a more intense reaction by the markets to anything that happens? Yeah, this is this is a uh, it's a different form of campaigning now. So now digital has taken over a lot more. Okay, and 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 it just shows you the power of digital. And you saw that in a way just in the last week when all of a sudden Facebook got boycotted by some brands because of spreading hate speech and all that. Well, that's actually not about hate speech as about how can we have an influence on the campaign? Because it was basically targeted to one candidate. And maybe that candidate was doing something stupid, but it wasn't all of his ads that were like that. There was a lot involved in that, but that is the influence that's happening to digital campaigning going on. All right, so yes, definitely it's having an impact. People are more tuned into their phones, People are getting messages all the time about what's happening. You got Twitter going crazy. 
So you're absolutely right. Uh, the format of campaigning has changed, but the core base of people, whether they like a candidate or dislike a candidate, that just becomes stronger. And, and I really do believe that there's something called a silent majority. So when they do polls, the silent majority doesn't speak up. And that happened in 2016 when the polls were saying one thing and the silent majority said something else. I believe that is even more intense now because of digitization. I do want to touch on the banks. A lot of people are concerned right now that people are keeping their heads above water and everything else like that because of all the government stimulus. What have banks done as far as stress testing and everything else that once all this stimulus drops off, and of course it has to at some point, what's going to happen to a lot of these individuals where the businesses have changed, maybe the jobs aren't there or they've decreased the workforce. And now these people have to start figuring out ways to pay their mortgages and loans, but not have government stimulus. The bank stress test was something that the government had to do. And that's to show that the government's doing something and that they're keeping an eye on the bank because the banks are actually the backbone of the economy. As strong as your banking system is, is how strong your economy is. That's why, why they needed to do that. The stress tests were very good. All right? What they did is the, the government basically came in and told them, well, um, you can't raise your dividends for three months. Well, the banks weren't going to do that anyway because of COVID. And then they said, oh, you can't do buybacks. Well, the banks weren't going to do that anyways. So it was a kind of useless positioning that they gave to the banks. But it did highlight something. There were some banks that were giving too high a dividend to what their revenue was that they were earning. And those banks will have to cut their dividends. So it is going to impact some banks, but not the majority of banks, not the Canadian banks. You can see that shift to the now as the the question you're asking is as these pressures for as the payroll protection plan decreases and people don't have the capital, what's going to happen to the banking system? Well, interest rates have dropped. So banks will become a lot more lenient on people on that because the banks need us just as much as we need them. With low interest rates, they're not making a margin. They're not making profits, so that's going to be squeezed. So they really need to keep us on the books so that they have some income flowing until times get better. It's not going to be as damaging as they're making out. And I also think that they will, the, they will kind of extend the payroll protection plan because this recovery, once it takes off, it kind of sounds like September is going to be a turning point from that. Just as the biggest indicator of the, or one of the recessions is the, called the Purchasing Managers in Index, PMI. And that's got a mark of 50. So when it's above 50, it's not a recession. When it's below 50, it is a recession. Well, it did drop below 50, and now it's at 52.5. So the recession is kind of over. And if Purchasing Managers are buying, that means that money is flowing into the economy, which means that you can keep people employed. However, there's a big however, that big shift from analog companies to digital companies. There are the traditional industries, I'm going to think of it like airplanes as an example, that will not be able to catch up as easily, so you will see layoffs in those areas, and that's what's going to hurt the most. And there has to be a rethinking of people around that area. Yes, there is going to be pain.
But I think the bankings themselves, they're more careful about making sure that they have cash flow. So if you go to your bank, they'll be able to give some kind of a leniency of support to it. It's in their best interest. While we're talking about rates, though, I do want to jump into the question of balanced portfolios. A lot of news going on about how a balanced portfolio going forward, the expectations might need to be dropped just simply because of the, the rate of interest rates. So for listeners, a balanced portfolio is around a 60% equity and 40% fixed income. Now, Rana, some people are mentioning that that model may be a bit broken going forward, still working now, but going forward, will it be getting those average returns it's gotten in the past or should people's expectations be somewhat lowered if they're going to stay with that balanced portfolio mix just simply because the fixed income side of it won't be able to produce because the interest rates are so low? The reason it's working right now is because of a uh, the stimulus that was given, an injection was given to the patient and the patient got an immediate high. That's what happened recently. And so what happened is interest rates dropped very suddenly. So you saw the bond market pick up. Bonds today are roughly about, from January to now, are roughly about a 5% up. That was directly due to the stimulus. Now, to keep that percentage up, you would have to keep on giving a stimulus roughly every quarter, which is not going to be happening. Mm-hmm. After the patient high, the patient begins to come down again, and it's very dangerous if you keep on spiking them up that way. So now you're going to see yields kind of come lower and remain lower. Well, that's going to hurt the bond side because the bond side is primarily based on yield or the rate or the interest rate. And you know, you're getting interest rates low, so that half the 40% that you have in there cannot generate as easily on the same bonds that they've had before, five, six, seven percent So they will have to change their format. You're going to have to have more corporate bonds, which by the way, is the most likely thing. And, and the reason that's going to happen is because the US government did a big shift that never done before, which they turned around and said that we're going to buy corporate bonds. This is very, very clever. This is actually, this is insanely clever because they should get a Nobel Prize for this. So the U.S. government is issuing treasury bills, paying 0.19%, 0.19% to all the other governments out there. So Switzerland's buying it, Japan's buying it, everybody's buying it, and the government has to pay out 0.19%. But once the government gets the money in from them, because they deposit their money with the U.S. government and they get paid 0.9, just like you're depositing with your bank, then the government goes out and buys these corporate bonds, which are paying 3.5%. So they're using the Japanese-Switzerland money to buy... Now, they're paying out 0.19 or, you know, close to that, and they're getting 3.5. That difference is a profit to the U.S. So the U.S. has basically become this big banker, very clever, so what that means is the bond funds have to go towards these corporate bond funds and other high-yielding products to get the same rate that we, they would normally get from a government bond. So 60-40 can survive, but the format is going to change. Most likely what's going to happen is that 60-40 is going to change to the 75-25, where you will have less bonds and you will have more dividend-earning companies. Companies are giving great dividends right now. Companies that are going to 
be around for a long time. It's going to require a lot more finesse from the financial advisor. And this is why I think the use of a financial advisor is going to be so much more important going forward. You can't just buy an index ETF anymore. You will have to need the right mix for you and put it in that way because this this whole change because of COVID and everything that's happened is very different from before, especially in the financial instruments. You already mentioned a couple dates, but can you just give a quick summary on dates we're supposed, we should be watching for? Well, October 12th will be when you're going to get the media really doing things. Earnings season is going to go right after this part of it. And some companies are going to have really great earnings. Retailers change. The amount of e-commerce coming in is increasing. Walmarts and Lowe's and all this stuff, we see it. Curbside pickups and everything. I agree it's not the same as it is before, but what that stops is it stops just wasted traffic when we're just, just meandering around a place, not even buying anything. And now you're getting people that are really committed to buying something and saying, okay, I'm going to order in law online and actually pick it up. And what you've seen is a rapid increase. In fact, since March, the sales for leisure goods, online bookings, online orders of leisure goods have gone up 50%. They've never gone up that before. So online is taking on. So that's going to affect the earnings that's coming up. Then you're going to have October and then November 3rd is the next date that we need to worry about. There are clear things that are going to be, but I, I, I actually think we're going to be able to take a lot of advantages of things. A vaccine kind of a date, you're going to start to hear about more concrete vaccines by the end of September. There's a trial going on right now with 30,000 people and it's getting great results so far. Well, that'll come out by September the 30th on the vaccine. But the therapeutics are going to be there well before that. Anything else you want to add? And one quick question for listeners that have cash on hand. Do they put it all in now and wait it out? Or do they do the dollar cost averaging, which for listeners, dollar cost averaging means you're putting little bits in biweekly or monthly, not putting it all in at once. Uh, this really is more dependent on your discussion with Chris. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, and that's why I think it's so important that you have the meeting with Chris. All right. Um, the, the difference, Chris, you're, you're, you're ahead of the curve here. Cause I just had a meeting with the, uh, with a lot of people about the future of financial planning. And it was talking about life advisors. And I know you're well advanced in that side of it. So in that life advisor part of it, the decision-making for your investments are very, very particular to you and your life, as opposed to a particular point in history. We can take advantage of things. I do still believe that dollar cost averaging, dollar cost averaging, by the way, almost always works. Yeah, agreed. All right. All right. So it's something that should be, but there are periods when you should lighten up and then you should carry on. All right, this is the period where you should carry on, not lighten up on it. And this is the big advantage. We don't know with all certainty that there is something crazy going to not, not going to happen or going to happen. So one of the things that you've got to keep a radar on is all this stuff going to the Middle East. Like Iran's been pretty quiet. Okay? And I'm kind of worried whenever they're quiet. 
Okay, so, all right, there's, there's things that are bubbling in the areas that we got to watch out for, okay, and it's a perfect time. Electioneering is a perfect time to do it. They're the child that's being ignored in the class, so why not scream a little louder? There is some things out there. That's why I think dollar cost are being worse over the lump summing. Thank you. I just, I get that question a lot and I just wanted the listeners and, and that to hear it from someone else besides just me. So thanks for touching on that. Patrice, do you have anything else or do you want to just do your thing? And <laughs> I think right now we'll kind of do my thing and wrap it up. But this is fascinating, gentlemen. I always enjoy listening to you too. Chris Duro of Three Hats Financial and Rana Shohan, Chief Investment Strategist with the Investment Planning Council. To subscribe to additional episodes of Chris's podcast, The Ride, Life, Work and Wealth, use the subscribe button on this page. And to share with friends and colleagues, use the share button. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of IPC Investment Corporation. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.